One of the most effective ways to build a successful organizational culture is to invest in mutually enriching relationships. So on this episode of the 11th Thing podcast, I will be speaking to former public sector leader Shaheen Myers about the power of connection. My name is Paul Aladinika and you are listening to the 11th Thing podcast. Welcome to episode 10 of the 11th Thing podcast. This episode is the first in a new series focusing on organizational power. And as part of this, my special guest Shaheen Myers will be drawing on her professional experience to talk about the power of connection. And right at the end, she will share key takeaways for listeners. Now, on to my special guest for this episode of the 11th Thing podcast. For more than two decades, Shaheen Myers has held headship and executive leadership roles in a large, culturally diverse multi-academy trust in the UK's education sector. She has trained as an Ofsted inspector, is an experienced board member for three multi-academy trusts, and has mentored and coached new head teachers. Shaheen has a wealth of experience across the education sector, most recently as Deputy Director for Education in a large local authority, where she oversaw all educational establishments, working with multi-academy trusts and chief executives. As part of this, Shaheen also worked closely with the Department for Education, the Ofsted regulator, politicians and other local authorities. Shaheen Myers, welcome to the 11th Thing podcast. It's great to have you on. Oh, hi, Paul. Thank you so much. And it's lovely to be here and, and talk to you today about all things leadership. So thank you for that really warm introduction. OK, so let's dive straight in. Drawing on your senior level experience, could you break down the concept of connection for our listeners? What are the key building blocks of connection? I would say, I mean, how long do we have really to talk about that? So I would say the overarching is authenticity. I think it's been intentional in the conversations that you want to have. And with that intention, you're implying explicitly, I would say, who you are and how you're turning up in the role that you have so that others can be touched by you as a person as opposed to you as a title. Mm -hmm. So a question I always ask senior leaders is, do people know you beyond your title? Do they know actually who you are as a person and what drives you? And that form of connection then takes you from people wanting to be led by somebody with a heart as opposed to being led just by a title. So building authenticity, building a connection, which does require some degree of vulnerability, but that's quite important in forming those relationships. So it's all relational practice, I would say. That's really interesting because essentially what you seem to be saying is that it's built on soft skills is that right I think it is I I would say soft and hard and the reason why I would say it sort of bridges both those things is that you're appearing in the role that you have for a purpose and a reason and it's knowing the why it's knowing the purpose it's knowing the meaning behind the way that you lead and why you lead and who you're leading um, as 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 well as leading yourself so that authenticity is quite genuine. It can pick, be picked up quite readily in just the simple interactions that you have with people. But your why and your purpose is always evident there. It's evident in how you are. It's evident in your talk, in your walk, in your demeanor, and sort of the positive interactions and how you leave people. But it's tangible and it can be felt. And when I say that is 
if you don't bring your full self, the full version of yourself, which we often describe, don't we, at the moment as, as best self, mm-hmm. if you don't bring that, people don't know who you are. You're less likely to get that connection from others just in terms of what you're trying to lead or who you're trying to bring in and who you're you're there to support, so to speak. So there is an element there of, if you want to think about servant leadership, do the people know who you are and why you do what you do? And to do that is about allowing those conversations to take place where you're always dripping in. So drip by drip, what you're leading and who you're leading is driven by that purpose and the why. Yeah, and people no. should be clear in that. There should be the clarity around what are you doing, why you're doing it. So for chief execs, it's every interaction is purposely building your mission that you've set out with yourself and your trustees. So why? Always why. <laughs> so where do you stand between the need to create organisational structures to stimulate connection and the value of allowing it to happen organically? I think that's really important. I think we, what you referenced there or organically, it's you, we are very busy people, aren't we? We, are, we work in very busy organisations. We have very busy minds and we have to juggle a lot. I mean, strategic drive and policies and plans and, and, and the consistency, I say, and the value addedness of what we're trying to achieve is always at the forefront. But we're just busy individuals as a result of that. And we can very easily get distracted and quite easily become a very tick box exercise Mm -hmm. where we think about well-being and mental health and EDI initiatives and all sorts of things where it's a case of we're so busy. Can we just have a framework or something we can hang a hat on and tick as we go along and connection and building authenticity, creating that vulnerability to elevate state of being, states of being, should I say, and the positivity can't be created just by having those add-ons. So if you believe that check-ins are a way of building authenticity and building connection, you will quickly find that those become diluted in the essence. So you're standing back uh, within your purpose and you think about how do we create within the existing structures value of connecting uh, and creating a sense of belonging. Yeah, absolutely. Sense. No, it makes perfect sense. It absolutely makes perfect sense. And as a, as a senior executive, so you're a you know seasoned senior executive with with lots of experience. You know, how were you able to establish meaningful connections with those that you led and managed whilst remaining authentic? Because you mentioned authenticity earlier. How were you able to establish those connections and then at the same time remain authentic? It's a balance. I think that you don't lead the conversation with your own talk is how you develop that. It's about making sure that if you're connecting beyond people's titles, you're connecting to who they are. So there is always a story of origin that people have. Mm. And for me, my senior role is why do people do what they do? Why are they within the roles that they're within? Is there clarity in their purpose? Does their purpose align with the purpose of the organisation? And where are we going and what are we trying to achieve together? So it's talking less, <laughs> listening more, knowing what drives them, knowing about them as a whole person. So I go back to that sense of belonging. If we are fully inclusive and welcoming people for who they are, I want to know who you are. And I want to know who you are beyond your title. And obviously, sometimes it's difficult to extrapolate that because people are so tied in their identity with their Mm. title. And it's great because it's a vacation. And that's what 
an education is just that it's a vocation um so I think you know it's clear to see why people do what they do and when we say we're making a difference I want those tangibles behind that you know how evident is that as for you as a person that you're able to see that you are making a difference and then you're realigning that purpose back to the vision and the purpose because often people feel deflated if they feel that they can't make that difference or they don't see the impact of their work and that authenticity is not it's it's like the drip by drip that I mentioned to you. Mm. If you know that integrity is so important within your organisation, well, where do, how do we demonstrate that? If I was to say and talk about members of the team or if someone was to talk about me, what would they say? Mm. And within that, I would say, I think a, a question that I've been reflecting on recently is, do we know the prevalence of loneliness within our organisation? And mm. I don't think that we do and why when I say loneliness in our organization is if people are turning up in their roles but actually are lonely within their roles but are lonely outside of their roles then we have got you know a dissonance there and we say we authentically care about our people and we authentically care about our children can we demarcate them being different no we can't it's an organizational care of connection that I think need to really think about creating um i i i would liken it to something um that i know the maori tribe do really well which is waka papa and that is a sense of belonging like how do we create such an innate sense of belonging that the you took authenticity and integrity and leadership and who you are come through readily it's such a strong sense of purpose and if they if people believe that if they believe in why are we doing what we're doing how can we achieve that together but we're actually having an impact we we have self-efficacy within that that's when you're going to be creating the authenticity otherwise it's a them and us mentality so just going back to that point about authenticity can you say a little bit more about what that means in a very sort of practical sense it's the conversations that you're having on a daily basis. It's not it's staying true to who you are, and and that when you're you, when you're in a senior leader position, you're you're being observed in all aspects. <laughs> so yes. the conversation in the corridor, the, com- the, the 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 incidental conversation that you may have, the way that you're observed having conversation with others, how you receive and communicate with your stakeholders. So you're you're observed in all aspects of your leadership, and you kind of in you know you're under a magnifying glass constantly. And and it's not for intentional China trying to sort of you know trip you up, but it's looking to see do that person have the integrity, and mm. if they are genuine, and then the authenticity follows. So it's making sure that you stay true to who you are. So if I give you examples, you know I have probably I say one or one or two phrases that I've always used within my career. Um, and when I said about doing that, I didn't sit back, sit back and say, OK, I need to think of some really good phrases that are going to demonstrate my authenticity. <laughs> and my authenticity. Absolutely not. It was like, what seems true to my heart? What phrases really sing true to what I'm trying to achieve? And how do they align with my purpose? What am I trying to do here? And I have had those phrases in varying opportunities where I haven't been expected it used back to me. Shaheen, do you remember when you used this? Or when you said that. And that's when you know that your integrity walks into a room before you do. Absolutely. So it, it's being very, very certain 
in all your interactions that you are true to who you are. And the only way you can do that, I would say, is when you come home and you close the door, you are the same person that you are at home as you are in your roles. Mm. I've always asked, do, do people know me beyond my title? And yes, if the answer is yes, then that's what I like. That, that, that's who I am essentially. Which goes back to people rather follow somebody with a with a heart than follow somebody with a title. So how do I demonstrate care in all my interactions? If I say talk less and listen more, is that demonstrated? Do I give the opportunity for somebody to feel really listened to? And and, if, and I would honestly say that that's the most powerful technique that you can use. You want people to feel that their contributions, their conversations, are valued. When you say that you are so inclusive, that you believe in equality and equity, well, how I demonstrate that? And often we have the loudest voices. As leaders, we do have the loudest voices. What we need to be sometimes demonstrating is being the quietest voice in the room and allowing, because then you're going to get a sense of who who is around you and Mm. why they are around you. And then that consensus, that information, that real intelligence that you're picking up from everybody is a powerful tool for you all to use. You know, I can say to somebody, when you said this, and it's because of that. So your story of origin really resonates with me. And it resonates with me because of this. And and and, uh, and, it, and it builds a sense of excitement in you. It evokes a very powerful mm. feeling when you know that you know people well mm. enough to know where, where you are also taking them as well as taking themselves. And I think that's quite powerful. I really like the idea that you kind of alluded to and touched on of silence being evidence of of power. I think so often in organisations, the capacity to be loud and vocal and demonstrative and visible is seen as powerful. Whereas if you don't do those things and if you're not performative, you are seen as less powerful. Whereas I think that Silence can be incredibly powerful because it's demonstration of respect and sensitivity often and being considerate, isn't it? It is, absolutely. I, I suppose how do we how do we create any sort of evidence base or how do we create the opportunities for others to be able to demonstrate their knowledge, skills and understanding if we don't allow them to practice? Yeah. It's not about having hours. We say this in education all the time. We, we have, I would say... Uh, a speak and listening um, epidemic where we seldom because of the narrowing of the curriculum have opportunity for our children to be able to speak and listening speak and listen and the art of communication and if we don't practice that as a verb then it's missing isn't it we don't allow our children to develop within that and I think the same can be said for organizations listening so listening more listening well enough with true intent means that you're opening up everyone's individuality to be able to speak. So we talk about this essence, this notion of at the table. Does everyone have a space at the table? Can everyone pull up a chair at the table? Well, we're not going to allow the opportunities if it's just one voice. And um, it's um, it's an art. And the reason being is we've got, we've got a stigma attached to if we don't speak in meetings, there is a stigma and there, there, there is the misconceptions around if you're speaking, then you're knowledgeable. Mm. If you're speaking, you have you have the right to be there. Yeah. And 
sitting back and, and, and having that surety and that confidence is to, to say, for me in this situation, listing is going to be more powerful because what am I trying to gather? And I think as leaders, we're so busy, we don't sit back and think within this meeting, what, what we're trying to achieve is this. And if we're trying to achieve it by the essence of having a meeting of individuals around the table means that you're bringing them in because something needs to be solved or yeah. something needs to be shared. Therefore, you need to step back and listen more in that situation. It's interesting because organizations are probably better disposed to creating the hard structures of hierarchy and perhaps less well disposed to creating the softer structures that will encourage their workforce to feel a strong sense of belonging. How do you how do you balance that? How do you sort of manage that dichotomy between the harder structures and the and developing the sort of the softer cultural structures? I think it's quite I think it's quite easy to achieve really. I think it's going back to what are we trying to create here? So what is our what is our organization's why and how do we create that? If we look at relational practice and we're creating connection and we want to create connection and belonging, then where in our organization on all aspects can we embed that? So do we create opportunities within our meetings? Do we create conversational opportunities outside of meetings? Do we value the nature of connection so much so that when there is a great and strong sense of belonging that has been intentionally created in all those structures? Do we have regular check-ins where we're finding out about people and what makes them tick and what doesn't make them tick and whether they have found anything challenging or anything supportive? How do we create those opportunities within performance management, which I like to call professional development rather than performance management? But how do we also create this efficacy? We know voice and influence is so very, very important and it creates connection and creates sense of belonging. But what opportunities do we have within our organisation to capture that? How do we intentionally create um, action bases for everyone involved in the organisation? And how do we go beyond staff voice and staff surveys so that we can capture whether we are achieving that or not? Um, In terms of what I would say, I could give you examples just by working with schools or working with larger organisations. First and foremost, it goes into the vision first. So can we say that that is alive and kicking? And to do that, we need to talk to everybody involved. So all stakeholders, do we believe that there is that connection through the vision? And if there isn't, why do we have that dissonance? You know, where are the gaps in that? So, you know, thorough gap analysis. And then we look at what opportunities can we create that? And I think the way to go in with that um, fundamentally is through professional development, but rethinking how we care about the development of our of our staff and our teams, both professionally and personally. And I think what we've tried to do is demarcate personal and professional. And when you're creating connection and sense of belonging, you're bringing those two things together. You're marrying those two things together so that you're actually seeing them as people first, foremost, who bring a plethora of their own life experience, knowledge and skills, identity and personality. And then how do we bridge that with the, with the professional and create for them the opportunities for whatever it is that they want to experience, grow and how they want to contribute within the organisation? Local authorities tend not to be the most intimate organisational settings. So how do you go about building meaningful connections in large 
complex, often in personal settings, like local authorities? How do you achieve that? I think it's easy. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's very, very easy to do. I think it's in all conversations that you're having where those conversations are structured intentionally, such as meetings. So I spent most of my time in meetings and I spent some of my time outside in the city. And it's those conversations and it's, and, it, and also it's in the communication as well. So obviously we, we love a good email, don't we? And we love a good communication letter at the end of yeah. the week. Yeah. Uh, to start. So how do we, again, build and create? And, um, uh, you know, we're lucky that the chief exec of the council was very much the same. So we knew who the person was um, rather than just a title. They shared what they would do at the weekend. They shared what their family's like. They shared all, you know, manner of things, mm. which builds that authenticity. So in the local authority, I would say all those conversations you're having on a daily basis and bringing humour into it. Um, that You know, research proves that after laughter comes best thinking. It's amazing. It is amazing. So I think having humour in your leadership as a skill relaxes everybody to the point where it's just a let's reset let's breathe let's sigh and let's go <laughs> but let's laugh at the same time so it's very it's, it's very important so I the intimacy comes I suppose as well from from a level of vulnerability yes. and I was um, exceptionally lucky that I worked worked for a local authority where that was relational practice at its core. Yeah. And that was there before I arrived and that will still be there after I've left. So that's, that's I you know, again, it's intentional. I chose that local authority for a reason and it was because of its core value, which is driven by relational practice and and it's for the children as well as for the staff. And when you're leading hundreds and thousands in your teams from the chief exec all the way to directors how do you build that and how is it evidence and I can say it's by every interaction you hold within that organization is how you build that intimacy so again I will go back to what I said at the beginning do they know you beyond your title and as a former deputy director for education you had a citywide span of control how were you able to build relationships that struck the right balance between influence and authority i think it's knowing that you're there to support i'm going to say i'm going to use that one you are there to use those levers of influence with integrity what are we trying to achieve as a city I remember when I first started in my role I spoke to a number of head teachers and often they are your the audience that the most critique they will most critique you and rightly so and what they're doing is judging what are you going to do and how are you going to support us and for me at that very first meeting it was going back to what you asked earlier how do I how do I build that intimacy well what I talked to them about was their voice and influence their voice and influence and having an open way of communication so that whatever I can do is in support of them. And the reason why it was powerful is because I've come as a head teacher and I've come from the city so that there is no dissonance between my role and their role, that I absolutely 100% understand what it's like to lead school and lead um, other schools and lead organisation and what the role entails is that there is a openness to receiving and supporting the city in a strategy that works for us all. So what are our given opportunities and our threats 
that we need to address and how do we do that as a whole. So I made sure that those levels of communication were completely open. But also there were opportunities created in the city that were there before, but some added, where we had that communication that played out. And I would you I would say in an open and transparent way that the council never shied away from those difficult and hard conversations where we have less, but we actually need to be doing more. Okay, so what kind of benefits have you seen in organisations when they genuinely invest in making connections meaningful? How are those organisations or how have you seen those organisations impacted, affected and even transformed? Yes, I, I would say that it's building, it's, I think it goes back to the purpose of what I mentioned earlier really. How do we create opportunities with an organisation that are supportive? And it comes back to what are we trying to achieve here? So if we if we say that recruitment and retention is essentially important to us, that we want to have low levels of attrition, uh, we want to create a sense of belonging and connectedness, and we want to get the best out of each other as well as uh, um, ourselves as leaders, how do we create that? And something that sometimes is missing and something that I do with organisations is something called teach me how to treat you. <laughs> and often we have something called, you know, you, you would have heard this, limiting assumptions that are not necessarily true in nature. And until we apply logic and reasoning, we come to understand that actually there is no, no such thing as a limiting assumption. It's just something that we made up in our own heads. And, and when we get the liberating true assumption, we're able to be free in, in terms of what we want to experience and how we want to grow in that organisation. Well, for me, going in, it's removing those barriers. Right, yeah. What is it that we, we are perceiving? And is it true that we're perceiving this? And what is it doing to block um, our relations, um, our professional development, and the impact that we know we can have? And that's all from senior leaders to, to, to sort of teaching staff and, and teaching assistants. So I think it's looking at the organisation and, and seeing whether they've got a healthy way of being with each other. And often you find that there are certain leadership skills that certain qualifications do not give the practice or the foresight or the space to be able to be developed. So leadership is all about people management, isn't it? It's a psychology of people management. And we seldom spend the time developing that side of it. So when we go into leadership roles, it's very, very little is about the strategy and the development and very much is about day-to-day -day management of everybody, including ourselves. So how do we, I would say, creating those structures and, and, and activities that we look at, but I start always start with leadership first. How do we take ourselves through that walk first? And then we go out to staff. And I, I would say it's just creating a, a sense of belonging. But it's very easily done. It's not, there's, there are no add-ons here. So yeah. I, it's what, what is our existing structure? What do we have already? What do we do already and how do we embed it within those things that already take place Absolutely. so that becomes systemic? And how would you encourage leaders to pay more attention to the importance of, of connection? Well, I'm starting with them, really. It, it, I, it starts with a reset of what, what are we here to do? I, I go in with very, very thought-provoking questions. Um, can you say without a shadow of a doubt that you've had the impact that you want to have? 
what have you achieved in the last year that you feel has benefited you greatly and has benefited the organization greatly? Who are you beneath your role? How are you viewed as a leader, but how are you viewed as a person? So there's some, some really, I mean, they don't all go in at once, Paul, because that would just be overwhelm. <laughs> so it's stepping back and allowing some space for leaders to really think about have they got the opportunity and the space and time for reflection on what they've been trying to achieve? And because they're so busy, that kind of one-to-one -one work or work with the senior leadership team is seldom done. So we become very operational in nature, but not strategic enough sort of in thought and in purposeful intention of what we're trying to create and what we're trying to do within that or reflection to go back and say, if we were to do an evaluation right now of what we have achieved, would we go away thinking that there is some tangible evidence suggests that the impact that we've had has benefited everybody, including the children? Okay, so the, the final question from me from this podcast is what specific advice would you give to an organisation that might be struggling to maximise the power of connection amongst its leadership, its wider workforce or, or clients. So what specific advice would you, would you want to give them? I would say, again, it is stepping back and thinking about the sense of connection that they create. Are there opportunities for a connection? So it, it, it may be that you need to talk to your staff first and foremost to find out if there are. One is a sense and, and prevalence of loneliness. That's a difficult question to answer, but it's a question that, that I think needs to be reflected on. And again, then where are the opportunities for us to create connections? So what, how do we hold our meetings and what are they like? Who tends to lead? Who tends to listen? Who tends to talk less? How do our staff feel? What's a state of well-being in the organisation? And it's difficult to quantify what well-being is, but it's not difficult to quantify it if you're very clear on your yeah. vision. If you know what your vision is, then it's that your vision is how you quantify. How do we elevate the state of being and states of being? Well, it's looking at what is the evidence around you suggests when you walk into an organisation, do you feel it? Is it tangible? And, and by that, I'm saying... Do we have, in the, you know, Buddhist monks say that there are three camps of the mind, which are comparing, criticizing and complaining. And that create that negativity is a contagion. It's a virus and it spreads. And do we know hand on heart that in an organization we have elevated states of positivity or elevated states of negativity? Yeah, How yeah. How do we capture that? And if we want to create a sense of connection, what we're doing is we're trying to elevate the states of positive well-being. That's what we're trying to do. And to do that, there are so many activities that you can embed within it that will support you in retaining the staff that you know bring their best selves to that organisation. And all you're doing is bringing out the most authentic and best self of that person. So the, the question would be, do we do that? And do we allow the opportunity and space for that to happen? Because what are we trying to achieve here? If it's to have impact on the children, if it's, it's as simple as, you know, happy staff make happy children and, and vice versa. So it's unevident. So, Shaheen, for the purposes of the listeners to this podcast, what would you say are the three or four key takeaways from, from this episode, from what you've shared? 
I, I think the the key one. I mean, we we sort of talked about it earlier, didn't we? Really, it's coming back to that vision. It's the what we're trying to achieve and why we're trying to achieve it. And I would say bringing that into all conversations if you possibly can, particularly from a sort of senior leadership um, aspect, and creating the connection, embedding activities that are tangible enough to say that there's something that we do that moves beyond a tick box exercise. It's saying, do we want to create a sense of belonging where there is loyalty, there is trust, but there is also space for people to come as they are and who they are? Do we allow that? Do we build that? And can we answer some questions around connection, vulnerability and loneliness? And also I would say it's, um, I would say be careful of using bravery and, and being courageous. Um, but use more authentic ways of conversing, I would say. How do we create the authentic opportunities? And you first have to ask yourself, how do I create that before I even start to think about it as an organisation? That is excellent. Shaheen, I am so grateful to you for this masterclass on the power of connection. I'm sure our listeners will have been really, really impressed by the depth and breadth of your knowledge and insight. Just before you go, could you just tell us more about what you're doing, the projects that you're working on? It would be really useful to know more about what you're engaged in. Of course. Thank you, Paul. Um, and thank you for that reflection as well. I... I set up Balanced, so it's Balanced, um, which is in response really to the recruitment and retention crisis of education. So I've been obviously a teacher and a head teacher and an overseeing education um, at a large scale. And I'm coming at it from a different tack now. I'm coming at it from when you have supported children all my life now. This is still supporting children, but it's going in with the staff. And it's looking at how do we how do we create job satisfaction? How do we create a an, an ability to step back and think and bring back the enjoyment of why we've chosen the profession? Why have we chosen to go into teaching? Why have we chosen to go into leadership? And how do we clear all of the mind mess that's been created uh, as a result of post-pandemic recovery and the faith? That has been lost in the system due to a variety of different complex um, factors. Um, how do we restore faith within ourselves if we believe that faith has been lost? How do we create that? And how do we make sure that everybody's benefiting in the way that we should be benefiting from feeling good in our in our roles and then inadvertently for children to feel good just by being children and by learning. So how do we create that in our in our education system? And I found that there's a missing piece of the jigsaw here, which is to allow space, um, which isn't, there's no irony here in terms of being busy and juggling everything, but creating space to be able to do it effectively. So what does effective decision-making look like? And how do we pause and help ourselves to be the best at making those decisions? Well, sometimes we just need some support in developing ways of being but also ways of working where we can marry the two together so that we you know we are a powerhouse of knowledge understanding but we also have that emotional intelligence behind us and resilience so I would say it's restoring resilience in the profession because we have relied on goodwill and 
goodwill is running out. It's running out because we are doing more and we are covering more roles than we ever have had to do before. So, and you will have seen on the news with all the recent events regarding the tragic death of Ruth Perry. And this is in memory really, and recognition that no person should have to feel that the job is way too much for them when we are educating and supporting and we're privileged to be in a position to support young hearts and minds. But if we don't take care of our hearts and our minds, we can't achieve that. Absolutely. That is really, really powerful. And and what about socials? What about if our listeners want to, to contact you? Uh, do you have a website or other social media? Where do they go? So you can look at my website, which is balance-ed.co.uk. So balanced. Um, the play and words there, balance education. And you can contact me via that. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, Instagram and Twitter and you can find me on there and um, I'm, I'm sure there are um, lots of opportunities to, to, to make contact so if you feel that you would like some support in any way culture management change management any supervision for well-being um, then please please make contact I'd be more than happy to help and support anyway. Shaheen I really cannot thank you enough for all the terrific insights that you have shared on this episode of the 11th thing podcast as i often say to our guests it will be great to have you back and it genuinely would be great to have you back on a future episode and talking about uh, a different theme perhaps but thank you very much for being part of this episode Oh, that'd be lovely, Paul. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And and I think what's really powerful as well is just to sometimes stand, stand, sit back yourself, really, and talk through the why of what you're trying to achieve. So it's a 360, isn't it? Yes. The opportunity to do it. <laughs> so before I sign off, can I ask listeners to please share this podcast across your social networks? Please also check out previous episodes of the 11th Thing podcast. And if you want to know more about the issues being covered in this series, head over to Believeonomics on YouTube and TikTok for a sneak peek. There are a range of videos there, which I'm sure you'll find really helpful. Finally, you may also want to check out Paula Ladinica on Medium.com, where I try to post a new blog once a week. Thanks for listening.